Hello, friends. Season one is coming to an end, and I don't know about you, but I loved every minute of it. If you want to dive deeper into the mindset and practices of ecosystem building, join my masterclass, Ecosystem Building 101, on February 24th. I'll tell you a little bit more on the show. An ecosystem is, is like a wild plant. So if you go and ask a wild plant to give you flowers when it's not its time, then you don't hate it. You don't take it personal. You understand that that plant is also in a process. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, the podcast that explores how ecosystem building can help us unleash the full potential of the makers, doers, innovators, and visionaries in our communities. I'm your host, Annika Horn. In today's episode, we are wrapping up season one about what ecosystem building actually is. If you're not following along on Instagram yet, hop on over and connect with social venturers to see highlights from the show and bite-sized resources and information for emerging ecosystem builders like yourself. I'm also happy to connect on LinkedIn. So come on over to LinkedIn, find me, Annika Horn, and let's be professional friends. I don't know about you, but what really stood out to me in season one was the idea that ecosystem building is a mindset. The six ecosystem builders I talked to almost all admitted to being introverts or having been rather shy when they were younger. Yet, here they are building community and relationships. But as Charlton said, the whole introvert-extrovert conversation is more about where you get your energy and how you recharge. Many ecosystem builders I know are excellent at building and nurturing genuine, meaningful relationships. Whether you get energy from talking to lots of people or you prefer to converse one-on-one. All six ecosystem builders showcased what it means to put the needs of entrepreneurs at the front and center of their work and what we're up against when we're building for the greater good. Here are three themes that really stood out to me during season one. Number one, we talked about the need to take a lean startup approach and actually do customer discovery ourselves as ecosystem builders. If you're putting entrepreneurs at the front and center of your work, that's hardly surprising. Yet I also know that teaching a principle is one thing, drinking your own Kool-Aid, quite another. In episode 7, Michelle shared that when she returned to Ecuador, she had originally set out to cure loneliness in her community. After a hundred cups of coffee with her ideal target market, she realized the issue lay elsewhere. People needed community and were looking for a place in which they belonged. Thus, Impacto was born as Ecuador's first privately owned co-working space and certified B Corp, and has since then blossomed into a full-service ecosystem building service. In episode two, Debbie Irwin really brought home the importance of building with your community, not for them, which in my experience is a critical mindset shift. As servant leaders who want the best for our communities, we cannot assume we always know what that is. We have to remain critical. Here's how Debbie put it. I had a great conversation with one of our partner organizations called Black Men Ventures a couple weeks ago. They made me realize that it was a language shift that I had maybe three years ago, but I was like, I really want to build with you guys. I know that I can't build anything for you. I don't know your community well enough to say that I can come in and build something for you. So what would you like me to build with you? And I didn't realize how impactful that switch of language from for to with was for a community that's been so often underrepresented. It's those little things that you take on without realizing, oh, I've had a mental I've had a mentality shift and didn't even know it. 
Christina Altfather shared her customer discovery approach when they were trying to figure out how to support founders after they had gone through the local accelerator. We used customer discovery to figure out what we should do in our ecosystem and brought a really big group of founders together and said, what do you need? Like, what would we be able to help provide for you that would help you at this stage in your business? And their answer was this bringing us all together. Um, you know, most of them knew each other, but some of them didn't, or they might not, didn't know each other well enough to call each other up and say, Hey, I'm having a problem with this thing. Have you experienced this? Or what are your thoughts on this? And so through that, we, um, listened to their needs and created the CEO founders group. And it's really just an avenue for them to share with their peers and build that trusted network, uh, for themselves, you know, be able to, pick each other's brains and, and kind of lean on each other. So I think that has been really the key is taking that same approach we tell founders to use when they're working on their business and when we're creating infrastructure. The second theme that really stood out to me is that of abundance. As I shared in the first episode, my first aha moment of ecosystem building was realizing how much more we can get done when we assume there's enough of everything versus being afraid that there isn't, and realizing that we can only succeed if others fail. Ah, oh, even just saying this makes my skin crawl. In my conversation with Michelle, we talked about the heartbreak that comes with a project or potential collaboration falling through. As ecosystem builders, we approach each conversation with generosity and openness, willing to give before we get. But of course, that generosity, or shall we say abundant mindset, is not always reciprocated. I think that's the hardest, but probably the most important lesson as an ecosystem builder has been, you know, it's very easy to confuse the idea of collaboration with the idea of being open arms all the time. So because, you know, if, if you think of, you know, of a team of people that are there to build a community, you're supposed to always be with open arms, right? So everyone that comes at you, you just have to hug them back. <laughs> And I think that like one of the hardest lessons for us was that we kept being arms open and sometimes, you know, the, 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 the counterparts, you know, the other side of, of, of a collaboration wouldn't come through or wouldn't respect our time or wouldn't be serious about, you know, the collaboration that we were coming through. And that is heartbreak after heartbreak because you, when we would embark upon a collaboration that really did not turn out, then we would be brokenhearted because it didn't work out. But because we've already used up that precious time that we could have used to support other endeavors. So, so the lesson reads something like, you know, the, the path to success is made out of difficult conversations. <laughs> so we had to learn to have those difficult conversations up front instead of just kind of like paving it and just kind of like, a, you know, patching it up and be like, oh, everything's going to be fine. We, we're actually, the, the, you know, it's almost abrasive the way we start out a collaboration is like, okay, this is where we want to get to. Where is it that we're going to fall? And how do we mitigate that? Like, let's start with that. Because we have very little time. We have big plans. We, we really want to get this ecosystem to the next level. And that means we have no time to lose. It's not just that it wastes precious resources, but it's hard personally to dust yourself off and go into the next conversation just as openly and generously. What I learned from Michelle is that while we do this work with the idea that we want to grow the pie for everyone, we also have to protect ourselves and know when to say no graciously. 
most importantly, we cannot give up. Like Michelle said, there is something to be said about having patience with your community. In episode three, Charlton Cunningham gave us another word of warning. Not everyone who claims to be in it for entrepreneurs really is. As ecosystem builders, we're positive and optimistic by nature. We assume that we all put the needs of entrepreneurs ahead of our own agendas and those of our organizations. But of course, there are always players in the ecosystem who don't follow this rule. So at all times, stay critical. Do your thing and protect the entrepreneurs. Remember that, especially when it comes to bad actors in the ecosystem, you can't control what other people do. You can only control how you respond. Another example of this abundance versus scarcity mindset really shown through in my conversation with Dalisa Dills at the Texas Entrepreneurship and Education Training Center. Dalisa shared how other players in the ecosystem would pick her brain about the programs she was running, only to start a carbon copy of her program a few months later without even acknowledging her involuntary contribution, let alone offering to partner up and do this right. I genuinely don't know whether people just think it's okay to copy someone else's intellectual property or whether they do it knowing full well how sick that practice is and just hoping they get away with it. I should probably do a season on this issue alone because I know so many ecosystem builders who have been burnt this way and it really pisses me off. Stop stealing other people's stuff and if you do, pay them. Acknowledge their intellectual property, or at least just partner up and do it right. All that to say, it's a fine line to be welcoming and open and willing to help at all times without immediately expecting something in return when not everybody plays by these rules. In Alisa's case, of course, those who copied her program will never see the same results they would have seen if they'd partnered with her. But we need to be savvy when it comes to protecting our intellectual property if we don't want to be taken advantage of. May everyone be as gracious as Darlisa about this type of advantage taking. But here, why don't you listen to her? As long as I'm operating in my God-given talent of what he has given me to do, which I call purpose, it's going to happen. I can't please everyone. Everyone's not going to like me. But if I stay true to what it is that I bring to the table, it will come. And it can be the best idea. It can be the worst idea. But as long as I stay true to what it is that I am called to do, and that is truly being an ambassador for the wannapreneurs, the early stage entrepreneurs, the minoritypreneurs, those that have low confidence in what it is that they're doing. As long as I can be a conduit there, I think I'm okay. Another hard lesson is that it will be replicated. If you're doing good work, people may not ever partner with you, but they will replicate it and it's okay. So kind of seeing it more as a pioneering call versus, you know, hey, they took that from me. You know, looking at it as duplication means leadership in some form. The third lesson I took away from this season is this. When in doubt, start with community and trust building. Michelle didn't set out to build a co-working space that later turned into an investment fund and consultancy and entrepreneurial programming. She wanted to counteract loneliness and build a community where other changemakers in Ecuador felt that they belonged. 
Dalisa highlighted that first and foremost, she and her team are holding space for a community of entrepreneurs and idea stage founders. She wants to nurture early talent and give them a safe space to try things out and learn the basics and the safety of the Texas Entrepreneurship and Education Center. Charlton explained in detail how important it is to show up regularly, in person, offer help and support, and always have an open ear for what's needed. Before anything else, he started out by nurturing trust among the players in the Atlanta ecosystem. And Christina, too, like the true ecosystem builder that she is, worked in the Office for Economic Development, but spent her early days hanging out with entrepreneurs and asking them over and over again, how can I help? To me, one of the ultimate lessons is what Debbie said in episode two. It sounds crazy, but I really want an organization like SCCF to almost become redundant. I want it to grow to the point where we've created so many on-ramps and opportunities for the other great assets to exist that at the end of the day, the ecosystem always survives. An ecosystem will always survive. If you want to dive deeper into the mindset and practical skills of doing this work holistically and effectively, I have something for you. Look, I know this work can be lonely, frustrating, and 150% overwhelming at times. On February 24th this year, I'm taking a small group of curious practitioners through the foundations of entrepreneurial ecosystem building and I'm inviting you to join us. If you're looking for a framework that makes sense of this process, if you want proven tactics and practical resources to help transform your community by building an ecosystem for change, join my masterclass, Ecosystem Building 101. Sign up through the link in my show notes. And now, back to the show. As you learned in Season 1, there are many ways in which you can slice that ecosystem pie. Depending on where you are in an ecosystem and who you surround yourself with, what resources and networks you have available to you, and what personal interests and strength you bring. Ecosystem building will look a little bit different to each of us. And that's what I like about it. Let me explain. There are a handful of works that I consider foundational in our field. They're all linked in the show notes, and if you have my starter kit for ecosystem builders, you have an overview already. Rather than subscribing to one school of thought, I've read them all and stored them in my brain library to pull from whenever I need to. The seven types of capital that Ian Hathaway and Brad Feld refer to can be an excellent framework to pull from when you're talking about what the essential ingredients of an ecosystem are. In Creating Startup Junkies, Jeff Standridge and Jeff Amarine claim there are four pillars of an entrepreneurial ecosystem. According to Michael Eisenberg, we should be looking at six distinct forces that make up an ecosystem and following the rainforest analogy pioneered by Victor Wong and Greg Horowitz, we have an entire rainforest canvas with nine different categories to play with. The Kaufman Foundation, on the other hand, has spearheaded the idea that the essence of an entrepreneurial ecosystem is its people and the culture of trust and collaboration that allows them to interact successfully. The ecosystem allows for the fast flow of talent, information, and resources so that entrepreneurs can quickly find what they need at each stage of growth, which is my preferred definition. While it's important that we agree to some degree what it is we're talking about when we discuss and work on entrepreneurial ecosystems, I like to think that we all do our homework and pick the model that makes the most sense to us personally in our unique and individual situation of supporting changemakers systemically in our specific communities. 
In the end of the day, an ecosystem is a model that helps us make sense of the world. It's not a one-size-fits-all definition that is set in stone. And personally, I think we're wasting our precious time if we spend it arguing over which definition is more precise. Because after all, we all experience our home ecosystem just a little bit differently. Besides, the more data and case studies we gather, the more people join this field, the more we'll learn and the more definitions will arrive on the scene. And that's a good thing. That's what the evolution of a field should look like. What's important here is that ecosystems are a framework through which we make visible how we can transform communities. It helps us see what levers we might pull to instigate change, and it might even help us see gaps and barriers within our communities that, once we overcome them, help more doers and makers and dreamers and visionaries do their thing, and by virtue of doing their thing, create positive impact in our communities. There are very few career profiles and professional roles for official ecosystem builders. I am very fortunate to hold one of them, and I'll tell you more about it in my logbook in between seasons of this podcast. Consider it a little look behind the scenes of what I do in my day-to-day work as an ecosystem builder in the Shenandoah Valley. But the truth is, it's not so much a career as it is a calling, a mindset, a way of viewing the world. And to me, that's incredibly exciting because it means that one, everyone who's passionate about supporting changemakers in their community by taking a systems approach can become an ecosystem builder. And secondly, it also means that as this field evolves, we get to help co-author the playbook and learn from each other. In a way, we are making history. We're building a movement in real time and you can be part of it too. Everyone who's deeply invested in the success of their local changemakers is invited. And that's what this podcast is about. I hope that all of you who are passionate about making a difference in your community learn just a little bit more about how to do it holistically and sustainably. I also hope that you will share your stories and lessons on the show. Let's write this playbook together. Let's share our war stories on this show and make sure these conversations don't take place for some elite circle behind closed doors, but in public, accessible to anyone and everyone. And that's where I need your help. If you know someone who's as excited as we are about transforming communities through supporting the change makers in them, turn them onto this podcast. I want to get these conversations in front of the right people. And what better way than to share it with you all and have you shared with your networks? In the coming seasons, we will dive deeper into the mindset and skills required to transform our communities. Also, I'd like to mention that while we talked a lot about entrepreneurship in this season, we will expand our conversations to change makers of all backgrounds, activists, nonprofits, maybe even policymakers and investors, you name it. Overall, we'll explore more widely how an ecosystem approach can help us initiate change in our communities. I hope you'll join us in season two when we explore in more detail what we mean when we talk about systemic change. Because the nature of our work is slow and complex, and we have a lot to unpack. As season one comes to an end, I'd love to hear from you. Message me on social media or write me an old-fashioned email. I am dying to hear what you learned in season one, which conversations resonated, and what topics are still unclear. The best way to stay in touch is joining my newsletter list. Every two weeks, I'll share highlights from the show as well as resources and event tips for entrepreneurial ecosystem builders. Before we finish up today, I want to pay my respect to elders past, present, and emerging. 
As traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, I honor the Tuscarora, Shakori, Saponi, Okanichi, Lumbi, and Ino people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. This first season was produced by Yellowhouse Media. Thank you guys so much for listening, and in case you need a reminder, what you do matters. See you in season two. Annika. <laughs> <laughs>